You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today we're bringing you an episode from the Encore series, where we revisit past museum programs and conversations. On this episode of Encore, we're reintroducing a National Law Enforcement Museum-hosted program titled Spotlight on Law Enforcement Anti-Bias Programs, which originally aired on August 10th, 2020, to examine the effectiveness and influences of anti-bias training programs in law enforcement and communities across the country. Here at Precinct 444, we thought this is a pertinent program to revisit as Pride Month is just around the corner. Be sure to check back throughout the month for other anti-bias and pride-related content, including a specially curated digital exhibit about LGBTQ plus and law enforcement, as well as a program to dive deeper into their experiences. Part one of this Encore series begins with a question about what anti-bias training is, its effectiveness, and defining some key terms. And now for Spotlight on Law Enforcement Anti-Bias Programs. So I just want to thank everybody for coming out today and listening to us and to the uh, National Law Enforcement Memorial Museum for hosting this uh, important topic. And I'm glad to be here. Um, The issue of bias Basically, if you think about it in terms of modern history and how it's gotten uh, thrust into the forefront in 2000, uh, around 2000, we were really starting to have this discussion on uh, racial profiling and then 9-11 happened. And we had to take that discussion and put it on the back burner of the stove. And anything that, you know, for those of you who can cook, unlike me, uh, anything that you take and put on the back burner of the stove, eventually it's going to boil over. So every few years, uh, this, this pot keeps boiling over. And my, my hope is, is that with panels like this, uh, that we can move forward and we can take the pot off the back of the stove and that we can move forward as society. So with that, uh, we have a great panel here for you today. Um, and I am really grateful that uh, they've graced me with their presence. Seriously, I mean, we have some phenomenal people here today and I think you're gonna get a lot out of what they have to say. So the panelists, uh, they're gonna, introduce themselves and how they answer their questions because we know that our time is limited and we want to really give you something to walk away with here. So my first question for our panelists is, as we're talking about bias, um, can someone answer specifically what is anti-bias training? This is Dwayne Crawford. Hello, Booker. How are you? Good. How are you doing? How's the listening audience out there? Uh, this is Dwayne Crawford, the director for the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives and Greetings, also from our national president, Linda Williams. I'll go ahead and respond quickly here. Um, uh, to me, it's really how we are able to train our law enforcement personnel and really anyone in your organization on how to understand uh, biases you may have or lack of a better word, um, stereotypes you may have about certain people and how that may also influence how you are able to protect and serve a person or a community or an organization by having predetermined uh, stereotypes uh, based on maybe someone's race or where they live or their class in, in this nation. I would uh, add that at its best, anti-bias training um, is a long-term thing. It's a uh, not a one-day workshop or a check. It's something that includes skills. It's something that includes longevity with a plan attached to it. It, uh, it, I mean, when we talk about, once we identify the anti-biases, the hard work is in helping people not let them control their thinking. 
I want to add on to that. So I'm on a plus one on, oops, sorry, Faye. I want to plus one. So again, thank you for the invitation. Um, Dr. Tracy can see the Center for Policing Equity. I agree. Um, that is what the training is supposed to do. But I think I go back and back up just a little bit. What are we trying to solve for? Um, I think that's what has to be answered. And all too often, um, implicit bias training, anti-bias training is used for solve for something much deeper. And so I just, I wanted to lift that up. Great, and so I'm Faye Brooks. I'm a retired chief of detectives with the King County Sheriff's Office. I'm having spent 26 years with them. And now I'm a director of, a co-director of law enforcement programs for the National Coalition Building Institute. One of the things that we um, understand about biases is we all have them. People may think you don't, but you all have them. And so the, the anti-bias training, I think, is, is a way to acknowledge and recognize what your biases are so that you can then, as good people, um, decide which ones are going to be beneficial and which ones are going to be problematic, uh, cause uh, injury to others or harm to others or uh, interfere with your relationship with the community. So once you become aware of your biases, then you get to um, look at how can you then come up with some ways to uh, change that um, because uh, as and both of, you, both of my colleagues have already indicated, it's not, uh, it's something that we get over time. And uh, one of the things that the mayor mentioned about psychological testing with new hires and other officers who've been on a while, um, there are tests that certainly can determine, you know, propensity for, uh, for biases. But as you've been on longer and longer and longer on a department, I am uh, a proponent of re-examining that uh, information so that you can see what the cumulative effect has been of how you interact with people. My name's Patrick Yeos. I'm, I'm the president of National Fraternal Order Police, and I'd like to, to add to that as well. You know, bias training is a uh, you know, it's, it's a buzzword that we like to throw out there and, and we're having a lot of discussion about it right now, but I'll take it a, a step further. You know, we talk about culture and, and culture is very key within our own agencies as well. And it really starts at the very top and that culture is what, uh, what allows us to, to kind of build on. You know, we can talk about bias training all we want, uh, but the relative, you know, what, what makes it relative is the interactions in the, in the community-based relationships that we build long before we have crisis in our communities. And that is so vitally important to this. You know, we can, we can, put, uh, we can put water on a fire all we want, but really at the end of the day, it's all about those relationships we created way in advance that allowed us to not only learn about you know, bias, but it also allows us to truly understand the different cultures. There's one term that I did not hear anybody say when they discussed uh, bias, and it's the term of race. So what I wanna go around and ask people is, is there a difference between bias and racism? And if so, what? And if not, why do you think that? Who wants to jump first into the, to the pit on that one? I'll go, I like it. go ahead, I'll go right behind you. So uh, I didn't introduce myself before. I'm Guillermo Lopez and I co-direct the uh, Law Enforcement Partnership Program for uh, National Coalition Building Institute. And so, well, of course, racism plays a big part in how biases get developed. 
sexism plays a big part, uh, homophobia. They, they all intersect when it comes to anti-bias. But I think in this place and time that we're in, if we don't talk about how is it that we deconstruct institutional racism, we're missing the whole point. So whatever programs we do, it has to be centered around uh, uh, interrupting institutional racism, dismantling institutional racism. So, and, it, and it's not just in anti-bias training, it's at all levels of training that we have to include this. So really quick, I think the, the question you were asking was, how are these different? So I'm going to, first of all, agree and plus one on what Guillermo just said. They occupy the same space. And what's going on now is the definitions of each of these things and how you define them. And I'm going to tell you that across the country, people are defining these things very differently. How you define it really is going to determine your approach to it. So for example, um, for the center, we define racism as accumulated patterns of behaviors that disadvantages one racial group and advantages another. And that can also include systems, policies, and all the things that facilitate that. But you can understand that if you're doing automatic associations of groups with stereotypes, how that type of perspective, and, and whether it's explicit or implicit, influences each of those things, right? So you can be explicit about not liking people of color. Um, and you can very much count on that you were influenced by something in that space that has you making those particular outcomes. But I think what we're really talking about here is that oftentimes these two things are conflated. That if you want to talk about implicit bias or anti-bias training, you are therefore calling me a racist. And that is not what's happening here. I, and I have to say that. The other part of this too is how people are oriented around this space. And we can't forget, and I want to say on the opening comment, you know, people are coming from different lived perspectives, different family members are talking about things in a different way. And Patrick was on point when he's talking about the culture. So it's not just about the broader culture, it's also about the culture of policing inside those buildings, what happens there. And so we get into these spaces where we're trying to disentangle how much of this can we control for and how much can we not. And I can tell you the thing that we can't control for is that somebody, even if we do implicit bias training, which I think is, I don't call it training, I call it awareness, but even if we do do that, one of the things you have to remember is the power of the influence of all of those things that help you make those quick automatic stereotypal, you know, sort of associations. Even if we train our young folks, what typically happens when we hear from the younger recruits, when they go home for Christmas and you're sitting at the table with ma, pa, and uncle, and everybody else who feel a certain way or believe a certain way about a certain group of folks, it's really hard for somebody to step up and break out of that or to stay silent and sit back from that. So it's a really difficult thing to disentangle, and I understand why people conflate it, but the definitions are critically important on how we begin to address it. So I just wanted to make sure that I, that I offered that up. So I'm going to stay on this one a little bit because I think nationally, and just based on my experience, this is um, one of the areas where we tend to get caught up on um, in terms of how do we define bias and racism, and are they the same thing? Right, because can somebody be biased and not be a racist? I'm gonna argue yes. I mean, like I'm from Minnesota. I like the Vikings. I do not like the Packers. Right. So, am I biased against Green Bay? Absolutely. <laughs> you know. But I mean, I'm just I'm putting it in in that context. But I do think if we really 
want to have a discussion and permeate all fields, we really have to discuss what is the difference between being biased and being racist. And, and you said something that I really want to go to that I really think is, is key here is when you said uh, how you define it will determine how you approach it. And I think that a lot of times when people aren't, if you don't have the, the, the terminology right, or if you're not speaking the same language, sometimes you get shut down. I mean, for everybody on here is teaching, you know, if you teach this in law enforcement long enough, if you come in and say something is anti or something is biased, automatically officers are assuming that you're talking about race. So I just really want to get back to this. Um, if, 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 if our panelists could try to give us in their definition, and I know, Doctor, you, you touched on it um, briefly too. What do you think, how could we go about defining the difference between bias and racism? This is a Dwayne again. Um, I think when I look at racism, it's a fundamental belief that a person's color is superior than another person's color. So if I'm African-American, I feel that me being African-American is superior to say someone that's white. And so the reality of it is that's a very real, uh, 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 to me, a very real deliberate belief that you've got. Um, and when I look at bias, I look at those are more that could be byproducts of this. But I think you're absolutely correct. If a person is fundamentally racist, uh, that's a strong line you've drawn that says you really believe your skin color is superior to that of someone else. All right, so we'll go through to the next question um, is, in your experience, can you tell us if anti-bias training has been effective or not at reducing bias within law enforcement? Um, well, as, as my excuse me, as my colleagues have said, though, this training needs to be more than just a one-off, right? It needs to be uh, consistent. It needs to be um, uh, embedded within the agency as well. And so, it it has a tendency to make people aware for a short amount of time um, until they get back into the system and start doing and have that pressure from outside to continue to, to treat people um, in, a, in an unfair way, uh, either by, by bias, which is, you know, uh, you just have a, have a feeling about something, you, you'll uh, favor one side versus another, but with the racism, it's like systematic. And if the system says um, that uh, someone can spend 20 years in prison because he attempted to steal hedge clippers, right? He attempted to steal hedge clippers. And then when he wants to get appealed to appeal it, the courts don't show him the appeal. To me, that's a racist system. And the, the, the effort needs to be more in-depth and in looking at how do we fix systems. And in this country, as we're learning from history, um, it was built on a racist mindset. And so we're working to fix that. Because we are, we, you know, like um, Maya Angelou said, when I, I did what I did then because that's what I knew. Well, if I know better, I do better. And I think we're at the point in this country where we are starting to know better and we want to do better. And a way to do this is to start talking about this issue because it's not going to go away if we don't talk about it and if we don't face it and we don't come up with um, models and ways to um, improve and encourage each other on how to interact with each other. Anybody else? Is uh, anti-bias training effective? And if not, um, 
Why not? And if so, why do you think it's been effective? So I'll That's take a, Go ahead. This is Pat Yos. I'll take a, uh, if I could, let me, let me just tell you, tell you what my experience is in 36 years of law enforcement and a little bit of, of military training on, on, uh, on this topic. Um, I think we need to look at what adult learners are. Adult learners, uh, they process things a little differently than everyone else. And, and the main one is they need to know why it's relevant and it needs to be timely. Well, clearly we have a timely uh, discussion here. The question is, is, is it relevant? And, and I can tell you over the years, I, I've attended uh, different training. And I, I, when, you, when you look at, at, at an individual, uh, it, was, it was mentioned earlier and I have to agree with, we all have a certain amount of bias that, uh, that we all have. And, and, and in, in most cases, we don't even realize we have it. Uh, but the other thing we have is, is we, we tend to get really offended when people suggest or, or even have the discussion that the way it's framed makes it sound like we, we are racist. So I think when, you, when you're talking to an adult learner and you want to you you know, convey this message, the effectiveness of this training is truly going to have an impact on whether it's relevant or not or how it's approached. Um, you know, it's, it's a, an open mind. Uh, is going to have a, 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 uh, a lot more opportunity to, to, to be able to share those cultural differences that, that we all make up our biases, make us, make us more conscious of it. But if it's not approached properly, and I've experienced those where, where I don't feel they were, they were, they were approached properly, that uh, you know, this kind of falls on deaf ears too. So um, I, think it, I think there's no doubt it, it's, it's effective, but it all is in a delivery of it as well. All right, so let's see. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, if I could. So, um, so I, it, that sounds right to me. And, and, you know, Patrick doesn't need me to co-sign on this, but I think where I'm struggling here is that even the science tells you that it gives you mixed results. And so the conversation, again, is really about what are we trying to solve for? So if we want officers to be aware that they come with biases and how those things are um, how they come to be and how do you try to manage that because that's the other thing right so how do you slow that process down so you're not making the automatic associations but again it goes about it's not just about delivery um it is about some self-reflective things that have to happen with each individual officer about where they stand in this moment and what's going on because this is about race as well and you can't avoid that conversation and oftentimes we try to use this training to avoid that conversation. And I agree, it's, it's always in the approach, but I would be remiss as a black woman who's been in policing for 30 years, if I don't lift up the fact that people are exhausted and tired of making people feel okay about this conversation. And so I think I go back to what, what is the shared language here? What do we need to do so that we all can make sure one, we're on the same definition as much as possible, but we're all solving or trying to discuss and find solutions for the exact same thing. Because where we get stuck are folks being so offended by the conversation of the training that we never move any, way, any forward. And, and I think that, you know, I, I can go back and most of us can, Dwayne, you can too, and, and so can you, Faye, when the early diversity trainings were extremely offensive, right? I mean, we sat there and shook our heads like, what is this about? But I think what's different here is if you talk about the science that supports it. But also, you have to talk about the practicality and the reality of how this is being done. And it's one thing to bring recruits or officers in a classroom for eight hours on the Faye, you have to have it consistent. But it also has to be measured. Because if we're, not, if we're putting people through this and nothing's happening, then we need to do something different. Um, we sort of seem to be reluctant to do that. 
But we also need to be able to help officers understand why these moments, why this moment has come. Because I, I've been thousands of officers, even as my time at NYPD, they don't understand why this conversation is important and why it's necessary. So I agree with Pat, you, got, you have to be able to explain why. You don't have to believe it. You don't necessarily have to accept it. But you need to understand why and why there's other lived perspectives and experiences around what's going on now. So I think that for me, that the whole adult learner part is 100%, but it's more than that. It's what you're bringing to that classroom. If you're already thinking this is going to offend you, then I have to ask what's going on with you, because those are never the intent, typically. And not, I'm not going to say all instructors are great, because I've seen some that have just been horrible, but I mean, we really need to start being practical about what we're trying to solve for here. Thank you. And I know we have uh, Mayor Cheryl Sells Belton joined back on. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add. So this uh, this question here about do you think the training is effective? Uh, if not, why not? And if so, why so? I don't know if I can answer the question uh, uh, why not, but I do um, I do resonate with the comment that uh, Dr. Tracy uh, put on the table, and that is the you know the competency um, the construct of the of the training um, because you get what you, you get out what you put in. Uh, and uh, I actually believe that uh, there ought to be some uh, standards across the board uh, for what ought to be included in the training. And uh, there are a number of reports uh, that uh, talk about the role uh, that these uh, post boards can play in ensuring that there's some uniformity you know, across uh, the uh, states. There needs to be more conversation about that if we, again, are trying to uh, you know, get improvements or we, we're acknowledging that improvements are needed across the board. Thanks for listening to part one of this episode about law enforcement anti-bias programs. Tune back in with us on June 14th for part two of this series. We thank you for your support, and remember, our upcoming episode releases are every Wednesday, and published exclusively on Tuesdays is our monthly Icons episode. We hope you learned something from this episode, and will join us next time for another edition of Encore, where we revisit past museum programs and conversations. A special thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Encore, a series for the Precinct 444 Podcast Network by the National Law Enforcement Museum. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the precinct. Thank you.